You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. In this final section of Paul's letter to the Romans, it's in chapters 12 to 15 that Paul's going to do something here that he does in almost all of his letters to his churches. He's going to provide them with practical instruction. And great, I gave you this rich theological truth. How do you live this out? And he's going to say in verses 1 and 2, what we've probably really familiar with, I urge you on account of God's mercies, present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy and acceptable, your reasonable act of worship. And the worship that he's going to call us to do, this praise of this great God who's brought us into his kingdom and is doing good things in us and through us that isn't dependent upon where we find ourselves in the totem pole of life, whether we're at the most bottom or at the most top. He's going to say, let me pour out my spirit's guidance and empowerment in you and through you. And as I do, this is what it's going to look like. And the first thing that shows up in verse three, and I just want to highlight this because we don't see it in the English as much as it shows up in the Greek. It says, for though the, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to froneo more highly of himself than he ought to froneo, but to froneo so as to have sophroneo, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Paul's first comment and, and uh, concept is this, that if we come to Christ in his kingdom, it's no longer about us becoming the best. It's about us becoming sophrom. And sophron is one of the four cardinal Greek virtues that is part of the Greek world. Unfortunately, we have no direct one-word translation inside of English. The, the big kind of summary of this word is this. So to be sophron is to be in a place where you know yourself so well, you know when to give yourself for the good of the community, and likewise, you know when to hold yourself back and to say, hey, you know what, Michael? This is you, man. This is your time. These are your gifts. Step up. Use them for the blessing of all of us. A sophron person knows when to give and they know when to receive. A person who's part of God's kingdom, Paul's saying, knows when to give and when to receive. They know also in the rest of chapter 12, they know how to love and sacrifice in the hardest of times, not just in the easy times, not just when there's an abundance, but to sacrifice for others. They're also not going to try to fix all the problems of the world. In fact, for their enemies, they're going to pray for their enemies. They're going to do good to those who that they hate them. And they're going to let God fix that in his time and in his way. And if they can trust God to fix the problem people, they can trust God to guide and direct and fix and put together the people who are in control that we disagree with the most. Our parents, our governors, our presidents, whoever is over us that we go, they're wrong. They aren't doing what needs to be done. That may be the case, 
But the one who knows what needs to be done is always in control. He never loses that. He will always be the king of his eternal kingdom. And in chapter 13, Paul's going to say the people who are living this new kind of grace-filled life, they don't have to make the world work perfectly to their order. They're obedient and submissive to the things that they've been asked to do that fall within God's greater plan and greater will. And the things that It isn't in direct opposition to God's kingdom work. They go ahead and they trust that in God's way, in God's time, he'll fix it. He'll make it right. They also are people who aren't controlled by jealousy. They're not controlled by anger. Uh, They don't seek to use other people and to be able to get their own way and their own fulfillment. Uh, They are people who always have others' best interest at heart. And to illustrate this, he goes into, in chapter 14, this discussion about some people eat certain things and other people don't. We didn't talk about this in 1 Corinthians, but it's highlighted the most there. What's happening in, in their world is that in every single town in the ancient world, they would have these temples. And in these temples, the people would bring these sacrifices to the gods and it would be the temple of Artemis and they'd bring a goat there. They'd sacrifice the goat. Artemis's, uh, kind of spirit would eat the spirit of that goat. And then the physical part would be then taken over to these little stalls, these little restaurants where they would sell the goats. Um, and these were the best goats because they're bringing them to the gods And they'd sell them at rock bottom prices. And all of a sudden the Christians go, oh my goodness, like there's only God, but only God is the only God. Yahweh is it. And and Jesus Christ is his son. So really this is just make-believe. So here's the best meat in the world being sold at rock bottom prices. Let's eat. And so they're sitting down and enjoying these sumptuous feasts. And, and kind of laughing about it in this process. There's other believers that just, they cannot see any way that you could have any connection to the temple and its worship. It's sacrilege. It's wrong. It just, it brings destruction. Stay as far away from it as possible. And so Paul deals with what we've been dealing with in the church for a really long time, judgmentalism. And we do it on both sides. The people who say, don't judge me, are the same people who are judging other people and saying, well, they're not doing this and they're doing this. We're always saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And Paul uses this example of the meat sacrifice to idols to be able to say, you know what? If God does not have an explicit law against drinking alcohol and your fitting the age of when you can begin to drink alcohol, then it is up to that person and their relationship with God of how that process works. If you want to read that book, Harry Potter, and be able to read about magicians and all that kind of stuff, it does not make you evil or it does not make you righteous just because you do or do not read it. We are responsible to our true master who is going to work on our hearts in our ways when it needs to be done. And we need to trust him in that process. Could you imagine what the church would be like if we stopped trying to control everybody and make them live the lives we think need to be lived, not just for us, but for everybody. It'd probably be a much better place. 
Paul continues on through the rest of uh, chapter 14 and 15, just coming to this essential conclusion that whatever we do, we do it to be able to be a blessing to other people. That's the heartbeat of God's kingdom. The one who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. And we bring ourselves at this point all the way back to where we started. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, not a slave to his appetites. If we were to take anything from the book of Romans, it would be this is that because of God's gracious work, he has not set us free just to live our own lives for our own pleasures, but he has bought us with a price. He has made us his own. He has forgiven us from everything in our past, and he's transforming us for the glory of his future so that we can live lives that seek to bless others and care for others, even at the sacrifice of ourselves. And as we live those lives, we bring his goodness and we bring his kingdom into every single place where we go. That's good news. And that's what Paul wanted to pass on to the Romans and what he wants to pass on to us even in today. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he guide you in your ways and establish you in your places. To him be glory in and through his church, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.